So as we start out this new year, uh, we really want to focus on effective prayer. Uh, James 5.16 says that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now the thing here is when it says a righteous person, a righteous person is simply a person who is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, who has received the forgiveness through faith and is seeking God's will with Jesus and Jesus' honor. That means that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is covering over them. And so the emphasis here in this verse is the promise that every single person who is in Jesus, that their prayers uh, have great power in the way that they work. That prayer is a, a, a powerful tool of the kingdom of God, which is given to every single believer. And that's how we want to start out this year. In the next three weeks, we'll be looking at different prayers in the Bible and how they demonstrate this particular truth. And this morning, we want to look at what is called Hannah's Prayer. Now, when you hear the word Hannah's Prayer, usually we think of the longer prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2 after her prayer was answered. But what I'm going to be, what we're going to be looking at is what we may call the preamble prayer, if you want to say, found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So when we say Hannah's prayer, and you hear that around Hannah's prayer, a lot of times people are talking about 1 Samuel chapter 2. So don't mistake that with what we're going to be going through. But this is what happened before Hannah's prayers were actually answered. This is the prayer that she was, she was giving up to God. And so turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. And in reverence for the word of God, let's all stand together. <coughs> Read from the word of God from 1 Samuel chapter 1. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Hannah, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, and only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. And therefore Eli looked her, took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the Lord, the God of Israel, will give, grant your petition that you, that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And they rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for the hymn from the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his words. You may be seated. From this passage, we're going to see that effective prayer is actually life-transforming prayer. That effective prayer is not just about asking God to do things for us, but it is inviting him to do things in us. There's something about... Um, 
a praying person. We say there's something about a praying person that's very different. I mean, I noticed that. There's something you can see in what they do and in how they live. There's something in their heart and their response to life that, that prayer gives them this, this connection, this connection to God. Prayer connects us with God. It brings about this transformation uh, within our lives, kind of an intangible but you know it's there. It's like last week Pastor Kirk was, was saying, you know, how are we different this year because of what God has done in our life through, uh, through his word? And that was a big challenge and, and for us uh, as a family when we had New Year's together with, uh, with my son, my daughter, and our daughter-in-law-to-be, um, we were praying and uh, we said, let's, let's pray about how God really um, has changed us through the things that... Um, that have happened in the past year. And, and, and praying together, we, we're just really um, praying and asking God and, and thanking God for the things he has done, even, even the things that were very hard. Um, just remembering the things and, and how we're different, how God has changed our lives because of the things that he has done through his word and through prayer. Prayer is not just about asking God to do things because you know kingdom work is not gonna be about us telling God what to do because God knows how to accomplish his will. He doesn't need us to tell him how to accomplish his will. But rather, God's kingdom moves forward uh, through transformed lives, through the demonstration of a spirit-filled life. And that's really why prayer is critical uh, to the kingdom of God because this is what uh, a demonstration of a spirit-filled life really comes uh, when we pray. In 1 Samuel, we're gonna see that, we're gonna see the, both, both the elements of transformed prayer, transformative prayer, and the effects of transformative prayer. I mean, I was praying a lot, <laughs> praying about prayer. I was praying a lot about, you know, how does God want us to start together? What is God saying to living hope together after what we've been through and after what we're looking at in the future? And, and, and how does God want to speak to us? How do we want to start out? And, and um, really, God just bring, bring back to prayer. I mean, it sounds kind of like, um, like a given, you know, say, you know, we should pray. But I really felt like God saying, we should pray. We really need to pray. That's what's going to change us that uh, we can have a year where we, we do all the right things. And sometimes I look at Living Hope and I say, yeah, you know, we're, we're kind of doing all the right things. We're getting all the right things done. The ministries are moving forward. And, and, and I keep thinking, you know, but God, I feel like, yeah, I want something, there, there, there needs to be something more that's going on in Living Hope. And, and, and God keep coming back to this idea of prayer. Just, just come back and, and, and humble ourselves before God that if we can be a people that really seeks the Lord's face in prayer, transformative prayer, uh, that God will continue to do it, just a wonderful work, that the, 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 the struggles that we face or, or the things that we worry about, uh, that those things will, will kind of f not fade away, but, but they will be overcome by the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ, and that the things that we do, um, even the things that we normally do as a church together, that we normally do at work or school, there's gonna be something uh, uh, different about it, something um, spiritual. I mean, really having the spirit in it because of prayer. And so as a quick background, you know, the story, this is the story of the birth of Samuel. Samuel was one of Israel's greatest uh, judges. And Samuel's father actually had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Now, Peninnah, the, one of the wives, had children, but Hannah, who's the focus of this passage, uh, she was barren. 
And so in verse 10, it says that she was deeply distressed in prayer to the Lord and she wept bitterly. So she was actually in the synagogue or in the temple and she was, she was praying uh, and, and really just weeping before the Lord. And in verse 11, as we look at this, we see that there are several elements of transformative prayer. Um, it says, she vowed a vow saying, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look upon the affliction of your servant and remember me, not forget and not forget your servant, but give your son, servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So the first thing we see about uh, Hannah's prayer is how she um, addresses God. She uses a very significant name of God. She says, O Lord, if you go back, it says, O Lord of hosts. Now this title is a very unusual title for God during this time. Uh, people would refer to God as the Lord of hosts. This was actually like Yahweh. Um, but they would never address God as the Lord of hosts. Um, the title Lord of hosts literally means the, the, the great power of God, the, the, the God who is able to deliver when no one else can deliver, the God who is able to alone do things that no one else can do. This is what makes God unique. This is the name of God when we say, when, when we say Lord, that, that God is the Lord of hosts. It is acknowledging that God alone is the only one who can accomplish this undertaking. And so when Hannah addresses God in her prayers and she uses, O Lord of hosts, she is telling God, you alone are the only one who can answer this prayer. You're the only one who can do this. That, that if I am to have a child, it will be nothing short of a miraculous act of a merciful God. And so, so we see that the first thing about transformative prayer is about how we address God. It is about uh, how we look at God, the belief uh, that, that we're asking God something that, that we really believe that, that only God can do. And, and it's the second aspect of transformative prayer comes about in the idea of approach, how we approach God. In Hannah's stance before God in verse 11, going back again to verse 11, she says, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son. Now, if you look at this verse, um, the word servant is like keeps coming up. This is just her first line of her prayers. Um, well, actually, the second line of her prayers. And, uh, and she uses, in one sentence, she uses the word servant like three times. And prayer is, is not just about how we look at, our, at, at God, but it's also how we look at ourselves um, in respect to God. And so three times she says, your servant, your servant, your servant. Now, this is not like... Um, Hannah thinks that she's like, like low self-esteem, like she's not very good and I'm a terrible person. Um, but rather, this is the idea, um, the word servant here is, is the word that is used actually literally for a slave, a house slave, someone who lives um, to honor or to serve someone else. 
And so here she is saying to God, this great God who can do, who is the only one who can do what she asks, and she is saying, I am your servant. I am in absolute subjection to you. Anything you ask, whatever you do, even if you don't answer my prayer, I'm not demanding this prayer. I'm not saying you owe this to me. I'm saying to you that, that I'm completely at your mercy. I'm your servant. I live for whatever you decide and whatever you choose and whatever you say. And Hannah's actual request to the Lord is she asks, her, she asks to be remembered. Remember your servant. Now, remember means not just um, the idea of like mentally, mentally saying, don't forget me, God. It's like, remember, give, me, give upon me uh, special attention, even though I don't deserve it. That, that, that's what, what this means, to remember. And so, so we see here, first of all, when we talk about transforming prayer, there is a sense of how we address God, how we approach God, and the final thing, the third thing, is um, our action towards God. What is the, the, the direction of our prayer? In verse 11, it says, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and do not forget your servant, but give your servant a son, she says, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And so basically what here uh, is she is giving a, a vow. She's making a vow to the Lord. She's not just saying, oh God, you know, uh, I promise. Uh, a vow actually is a binding commitment. It's saying that when she says no razor shall, shall touch his head, she's referring to a very, very specific vow in Numbers chapter six, verse one. In Numbers chapter six, verse one, it says that, that a man is allowed to make this sort of a, a Nazarite vow, which is a special vow of separation to the Lord, of, of a holy life before the Lord, where during this time they'll drink no wine, they won't cut their hair, they won't go near a dead body. It's usually a temporary vow when they wanted to do something for God or when they wanted to set themselves apart for some particular task of God, they would make a Nazarite vow and say, during this time while I'm serving the Lord, while I'm, I'm doing this task for God, I'm gonna set myself apart to be holy. I won't drink any wine, I won't cut my hair, uh, I won't go near a dead body. Even people, if they had a loved one who passed away during that vow, they wouldn't be allowed to go uh, to the funeral because they say, I'm, I'm really, I've set apart myself to God and this is a, a promise that I make to God and so so Naomi here she is making a, a, a promise to God and what's what's interesting about this promise is that it's not you know she's devoting Samuel to the Lord but it's not really Samuel's commitment it's her commitment she's saying I'm gonna take Samuel and I literally for the rest of his life. He's not even born yet. And she's saying, if you, meaning I don't even know if you answer this prayer because I don't deserve it, but if you in your mercy do so, this person, not just for a time, but for the rest of his life, I will devote him uh, to you. And this is a vow, meaning, um, in, in ancient Israel, if you broke a vow, um, you could be killed. They would take an animal and they would say, I vow, and they would you know, sacrifice this animal. And what they were doing is they were saying, um, if, I don't, if I don't fulfill this vow, you can do to me what I do to this animal. 
That's how serious I am about this particular promise that I'm making to you. So her promise was, uh, was very serious and actually she did follow through with that promise. And so we look at this and we say, okay, the elements of transformative prayer as we look at Hannah's prayer, um, that there's this sense that um, of, of how we approach God, of how we look at God, how we approach God, and how we, we act towards God. That um, this is really uh, what transforming prayer is like. When we say, um, I want to be a praying person. I want my prayers to grow. I want to be better at prayer. You know, what are we actually saying? Are we saying, um, I want to make sure that I pray every day? I mean, that's good. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray every day. Um, is that considered like I'm better because I pray every day? Um, or I'm going to pray for um, three hours. I'm going to pray early in the morning. That that's my, how I'm going to grow in my prayer. I'm going to wake up early in the morning. I'm going to sacrifice for prayer. That's how I'm going to um, pray more. And you know, I tried that. I'm a, I'm a night person. I'm an owl, definitely. And, and I always felt so bad because I would wake up at, I, I, I would read about these missionaries. I used to love to read missionaries. And they'd always get up like five in the morning and pray, you know. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get up at six. You know, not five. I'm going to get up at six. I'm going to pray. And, you know, how long that's going to last. That lasted about three days. And it was really bad because in the morning, I'm just terrible. I mean, like, in the morning, I'm not even, my, my head is in a fog. And when I'm praying, I'm like, I'm, my mind is just not focused at all. And so it would be, like, useless. <laughs> I mean, honestly, useless. Just because I was waking up early in the morning to devote myself to prayer didn't mean I was growing in prayer. It just meant that I was trying to do what other people were doing. And then, of course, I read Jesus prayed all night, and I go, oh, okay, that's the one I want. I'll pray all night instead. I could do that one. Um, but at any rate, you know, is that what we mean by growing in prayer? Like, how much we sacrifice to pray? Or is it the length of our prayers? Or is it the, the amount of people that I remember in my prayers? Well, if I can remember to pray for everyone in my prayers, then, then, then I'm good in prayer. Martin Luther used to say, uh, used to pray for like seven hours for his sin. And he's like just praying for his sin to find forgiveness. Uh, but is, is that really what God is saying? But, you know, he used to do that because he, he, he wanted forgiveness so badly and he, he didn't understand because he lived in that, that Catholic kind of background, uh, the old church kind of background before the Reformation, trying to find forgiveness. And so he prayed like seven hours to try to find forgiveness of sin. Is that what uh, growing in prayer means? Um, transformative prayer, when I look at this passage, I find that for me, just thinking about this prayer, one of the things that we can think about in terms of am I growing in prayer is these three things. Whether it's I'm confessing, whether it's I'm thankful, whether it's I'm, I'm asking God for things, whether I'm interceding or I'm just meditating, uh, is my view of God growing bigger in my prayers? Doesn't matter if I'm thanking God for what he's done. Does that make my view of God grow higher? That I'm really saying to God, God, you can do, this is only what you can do. I can't, nobody else can do this but you. When, when I'm interceding for other people, am I saying, am I growing in my belief? They say, God, I'm asking for something that only you can do, God. And when God does it, I'll say, man, God, I praise you because you've shown that this is only something you can do. Am I growing in, in that 
believe in that faith as I pray, no matter how long I pray, no matter when I pray, no matter what I sacrifice to pray, whether it's a very short prayer or a very long prayer, am I growing in saying, God, more and more in my life, I believe that you are doing things that no one else can do. Is that growing in me? The second thing is, is the idea is, am I, is, is my heart, am I becoming more a, a sense of I'm a servant of God? Am I becoming more of a sense that not like I'm terrible, I'm such a terrible sinner, but I'm, I'm at your mercy, God. Whatever you choose to do, whether you answer the prayers in the way I want it or whether you don't answer them or you answer them differently, uh, God, I, I accept it because I'm at your mercy, because uh, I'm your servant, I'm your servant, I'm your servant. And, and as I pray and as I ask God and as I, 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 I praise him, as I confess my sin, as I pray for other people, am I growing and learning to say, um, God, I, do, I, I need your mercy. I, I'm really growing in a sense that, that I'm demanding less for myself and, and, and I'm really calling out because I, I, I know that, that I don't deserve anything, that I'm really asking for your grace? Am I growing in that aspect when I pray? And then the third thing is towards God. Am I uh, devoting myself to God? When I pray, is my life and my heart and the things I pray for, is it drawing me to, to the sense that, that God, uh, I'm set apart for you? That the more and more that I pray, that I'm feeling a sense that I'm really set apart for you. That when you answer this prayer, God, that you don't just give this to me because I asked for it or because everybody else has it, but because you set this apart for something that you want to do that you can't do if I don't have this. And that's why I'm asking for this and that's why you're giving this to me. Is, is that sense growing as I pray, and I believe that's when we talk about evaluating our prayers, it's hard to evaluate prayers. Am I growing in my prayer? It's easy to evaluate reading my Bible because it's, you know, how much of the Bible have I read? Am I reading it uh, deeper? Uh, am I really studying it? And that's very important, and, that's very, and, 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 and in terms of, you know, church, you know, am I serving? These type of things, we can all measure those things, but somehow for prayer, it's always really difficult. How do I measure prayer? And we always stop at, you know, I just need to pray every day. If I do my devotions every day and I pray every day and I say my prayers and I do my acts and all that kind of stuff, um, then I'm growing in my prayer. But I really feel like to challenge us to say that prayer is not just a, a discipline, that to grow in our prayer means these three things should really be happening in our lives, that I can really see myself exalting God more and more this year, that my prayers are bringing me to that place, that's when I know that I'm, that's where my prayers are, are really are changing. If, if when I pray that I, I really am appreciating the mercy of God, you know, more so this year than last year, then I know my prayers are, are growing, they're getting better. When I, when, when I know that when I'm giving up more and more of myself to God and, and, and setting myself and my life and, and the things that I have apart for, for God's purposes and, and doing more and more of that, then I know that um, my prayers are, my prayer life is growing because I believe that, that th th those things happen 
when, when we're praying, when we're praying um, the way God wants us to pray? Do I acknowledge my inability and God's ability when I pray? Uh, do I give up my rights and, and surrender to God as I pray? Am I, am I giving up my plans and embracing his will more as I pray? Am I making myself smaller and my will and my rights smaller and magnifying Jesus Christ more and more as I pray? Do I really feel like these things are happening? That's how we can see if, 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 if prayer, that one aspect of our life, of our spiritual life, is actually being effective, is actually um, doing what it's supposed to do as we pray together. And so that's, that's kind of when we say the um, the elements of prayer, how we kind of evaluate prayer. The second thing we want to look at is, um, is the, did I do this one? Uh, it's not working. Anyways, is the, um, is the effect of prayer, yes. Oh, is it working? Did I, am I, did I switch it funny? Okay, it is. Well, you can, you can click it for me. Um, the effect of transforming prayer. Next thing. Next, you can just do it for me. Click, click. Next one. The effect of prayer. Okay, how does prayer really change us? Now, in this passage, actually, there's this contrast between these two individuals. Between two individuals, there's actually two people going on in here. There is Eli, the high priest, and there is um, Hannah who's praying, so they're both in this same place. So if you look at verse nine, next slide, it says, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorposts of the temple of the Lord. And so Hannah, there's, there's Hannah praying and there's Eli watching. Now Hannah, you can tell uh, already that her prayer and her relationship with God is very intimate. And, um, and Eli, which is ironic, he is the spiritual leader, like the priest who's overseeing this, this, this um, temple. And yet, Hannah, when she prays, she refers to God as the Lord God Almighty. You can really see the sense of how she loves God. And she uses that name over and over again in this chapter. Eli, when he refers to God, he uses actually a different name. He uses the word God of Israel, which is actually a more... Um, it's less, it's a more formal way of approaching God. So already in the way that they address God is a little bit different. And then as you, as Eli is observing what's going on here, he's looking at Hannah's actions and he doesn't perceive her actions. Next slide. It says, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli was observing her mouth, which again is really interesting. He's watching her mouth and Hannah was speaking in her heart, but her lips were moved, were not, only her lips were moving. Her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman and Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. Now this is, again, really ironic because we've just seen that this is a picture of Hannah just pouring out her heart to God, giving this exemplary prayer of, 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 of just laying herself before uh, the mercy of God. And Eli, the high priest, he is supposed to be the spiritual one, and he's kind of carrying out his physical duty, physically what he's in charge of as the, as the watching over the doorpost, is he's making sure that whatever's going on in the temple is worship. 
So if somebody's not doing worship or somebody's doing something that's not worshipful, he'll go in and tell them, hey, uh, can you please leave? People want to worship here. It's like a, an usher kind of, in a sense. Um, and so basically uh, he's in charge of, of this. So he's technically he's fulfilling his duty because he's looking at Hannah going, okay, here's a person who looks like she's not really worshiping and, 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 and kind of um, uh, hindering the worship here, so I need to ask her to leave. And he thinks that she's drunk. And um, so Eli is, uh, in a sense, he's doing what he's supposed to do, but yet at the same sense, he is displaying that he has no idea what he's supposed to do. That he spiritually, physically, he's doing his thing that God asked him to do, but spiritually he's not because he's doing exactly the opposite of what God wants happening. He's, he's actually thinking that the person who's really worshiping is really drunk. And so, uh, next slide. Next. Does it work? Oh, there we go. So Eli basically is this, this dark canvas upon which this, this beautiful like prayer so picture of Hannah shines. You just really see this, this contrast. It, it makes Hannah's prayer so much more powerful. And Hannah responds to Eli, and um, it's such an eloquent response. She says, no, my Lord, I am a tr woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. <laughs> you know, she's saying, it's not I'm pouring drinks into my, you know, he's saying you're pouring drinks into your body. You have so much drink pouring into your body that you're just drunk and you're, you're hindering worship. And she says, no, I'm not pouring drink into my body. I am pouring out my heart in, in, in seeking the God of Israel and seeking the great God who can, the only one, I know he's the only one that can do this for me. And I'm just pouring my heart out to God. So that's the first thing she's saying. And then she's saying, don't mistake me for a worthless woman. That is a daughter of worthlessness. And what's ironic is that Eli's two sons in the next chapter are referred to actual sons of worthlessness, which they actually were because they were like taking the sacrificial food and instead of boiling it and, and doing what they're supposed to do for the Lord, they were taking it and eating it for themselves, saying, hey, you know, just, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll offer it later. And then when they leave, they put it in the fridge, you know, and say, we're gonna have steak tonight, you know, or, you know, whatever. And, um, and so uh, Eli, Eli, he's got these two sons and they're the ones that are, uh, sons of worthlessness, but yet he, he can't see that, and he just looks at someone who's worshiping God and saying, you're a daughter of worthlessness. So there's this picture again of, of just uh, Eli just totally not, um, not being able to do God's work. Even though he's doing God's work, he's not really doing God's work. And then he answers, go in peace, and the Lord grant your petition that you, may, that you have made to him, okay? This is extremely formal. This is what he says to every single person as they walk out the door. Okay, go in peace, may the Lord of Israel grant your petition to you that you have made him. I don't even know what the petition is. I don't, you know, I don't really care what the petition is, but may the Lord grant it. That, that's basically, it's a very, very formal way of saying, thank you for coming. You know, that's my duty. Uh, it's like, God bless you. Are we really mean God bless you? Yeah, I mean God bless you. But, you know, we just say, God bless you, you know, whatever. Um, but that's what he's saying. And, and so there's this like religious formalism, but yet in verse 18, the contrasting, um, sorry, it's not, it's not clicking, but uh, next slide. Hannah says, let your servant find favor in your eyes 
And the woman went to her, and she went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And so you get this picture of Hannah. And here's this, 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 um, this, this contrast in effect. You have um, Eli, and he is serving the Lord, and he is spiritually blind. He can't tell the difference between worship and not worship. He can't discern that his sons whatever, he is uh, corrupt in, in the way he's doing things. He, uh, he does blessings uh, very formally. He doesn't even know what, what he's blessing. He just says, oh, just go in peace, things like that. And spiritually, there's just nothing going on, even though he's doing these things, you know, outwardly. Um, and so nothing happens in his heart. In fact, he just dies sitting on a chair, basically falling backwards because he's overweight from taking all the stuff that his, you know, he's saying, sons, don't do that, but, you know, when you cook it, save some for me. That's what he says, basically, you know, and uh, so, so he's kind of like being a good dad, you know, don't cook it, but, you know, when you, if you have leftovers, you know, save, save some for me, um, and that's why he's kind of fat, you know, that's why he died, basically, that's why he died, and his sons actually uh, carried the ark, and the ark was taken away from the land, and so there's a sense that, that, that Eli represents someone who, who can, quote, do the will of God outwardly, but because there's nothing going on inside, it's like nothing. It's like everything around him is just horrible, and even though the, 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 the presence of God is no longer near him. And yet here's Hannah, and, and her, when she prays, and she says, let your servant find favor in your eyes. It says she went away in her ate, and her face was no longer sad. There's this sense that she's joyful. Uh, when she ate, they're talking about eating the festive meal. This is not just, you know, eating. Um, she is actually, her, her life has changed. You, what they're doing here in this, in this uh, picture, in this passage is, you, you get this picture of her. She's weeping and crying, vexed and, and anxiety and weeping. And then she prays. And then... Um, Eli says, your prayers are going to be answered, even though he was just saying, you know, your prayers are going to be answered. She really believed my prayers are going to be answered. And she went out going, man, I'm the happiest person in the world. She's so happy. And it, it's a picture of, of this sense. She didn't even, God didn't even answer her prayer yet. Okay, God didn't answer her prayer. She just walked out, but she believed God was answering her prayer. Next slide. Okay, next slide. Effective prayer is not just about getting what we want. It's about becoming what God wants. That, that's what was happening in uh, the life of, of Hannah. She did not yet, I mean, she will get what she, she asked for, but she did not get what she wants yet, but, but in her heart, she is becoming what God wants. She, through her suffering and struggle, what God wanted her to do was to desperately offer her son for this great task that he is going to accomplish for all of Israel. Now, if it was something really easy for her, maybe when God said, Bring, give me your son, she would be like, no way, I love my son, I'm not giving it to you. But because she went through all this suffering and struggle, because she, she went through, going through this prayer of, of, of really saying, God, you're the only one that can do this. God, I am you know, begging for your mercy. God, I'm your servant. And whatever you give me, I'm gonna devote it to you for the rest of my life, just totally set apart for you. Because those things were, were brought to her, then she was able to, to do the things that God, you know, why he answered her prayer. So that this boy, Samuel, would really change the nation and bring the king. This new epoch in the history of Israel. 
And so um, it says in verse 32, or in verse 19, it says, they rose early in the morning, they worshiped before the Lord, they went back to their house in Ramah, Elkanah knew Hannah and his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She called him Samuel, for I have asked him of the Lord. Now, this idea of the Lord remembered her, and this again is a very like potent phrase. We'd say the Lord remembered her. Because remember again is not just um, like, oh, yeah, I remember. Um, remember is like to look upon someone with distress and really fulfill your promise to that person, really come through. And so this covenant-making God, he's not just um, remembering Hannah. He's not just saying, Hannah, I'm gonna remember you because you, know, you want this child, I'm gonna give this to you. He is remembering his people. That, that's what he's doing here. These people, I mean, before, before Samuel, there are a lot of really bad judges, right? I mean, they, it was really, really bad. I mean, the judges were starting out okay and they just got like Samson was done. It's just like really, really bad. And, 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 and people are like, you know, getting from, from worse to bad to worse. And here it says, God, but God remembers his people. He, he, he's going to change them. He's going to rescue them. He's going to bring about something beautiful here. And it begins with, with this, this, this godly woman who, who prays. And I look at this, this the, the transforming prayers. We think about the effect of prayer. It brings about this heart of joy in her, this transformation in her. And it moves God's kingdom forward in ways that they will never realize what Samuel is going to do for this nation. And so as we think about prayer, as we take the communion, and I want to give us some time to pray, is that, that, that we recognize that this growing in prayer is, 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 is not just a matter of a discipline that as Christians, you know, we got to do because it's the first day of the year, we just recommit ourselves to prayer. No, no, prayer is, is, is going to change everything. I mean, I, I really believe that. Prayer is going to change everything. It will change our hearts that the struggles and difficulties and, and, and things that, that, that we go through, it, it will fill our hearts with joy. Even if God doesn't answer the prayers in the way that we want it to happen. Because that's just how transforming prayer, what it does to a person. It, it, it fills and changes them. Circumstances didn't change. I mean, Hannah's circumstance didn't change, right? She's, the circumstances are the same going in and coming out, same thing. But her prayers, meeting with God, it really changed her life. She was a different person. And, and the, the contrast is so, so vast in this particular passage. And what was in between, just this prayer, from someone who is, is at the end of her rope, just weeping and crying, to a person who is walking out with joy and faith and renewal in her life. That's what God promises to each one of us. Each one of us righteous people who, who will seek to pray. And then God also promises that his kingdom will move forward in ways that we, we will never understand. And we may ask for things based on our limited thinking of what we would like, and God somehow will take that and he will do even greater with the things that we ask.
I, I believe that. I believe that he will do that. When we ask for things for living hope, when we ask for you know, a building, when we ask for you know, a, a children's minister, things like that, and we're asking for things for ourselves, kind of, but God's going to take those things and as he answers them, he's going to do something in this community that's way beyond uh, anything that we would ever have thought of or prayed for. I, I really believe that as, as we pray as we pray for each other, as we pray for each other's needs, as we pray for the things of this church, as we pray that we can reach out to these four groups of people and we just say, oh, I'd love to have these four groups of people coming into the church. That's somehow I think, oh, it'd be neat to have you know, uh, those affected by disability, single moms, and everybody worshiping in this church. And I say, oh, well, that would be like really nice, but that's just me. That's like what I want for my prayers. And I'm like, but God says, I'm gonna do much more than that. I'm not just do that for, yeah, I'll do that for you, but, but there's gonna be something so much greater and more marvelous as, as, as Living Hope comes together and really prays that we're gonna reach these people for Jesus Christ. That perhaps some of these people that we, that we minister to, they're gonna go out and they're gonna change their world in a way that we will never know because we minister to them, because we prayed. And so as we, we come to communion, um, let's go ahead and just spend some time in, in prayer before our Lord right now. And really just ask of these three things. God, let me see you as the one who can do only what you can do. Let me see myself as a servant, as a servant, as a servant, who is just asking for your mercy. And let my life and everything that I am be set apart for you and for your purposes as holy unto the Lord. Let our prayers focus on that. And as we come before uh, to take the communion, um, we are righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of the body which was given for us on the cross. That's why we are called righteous. And that's why we have this, this great privilege of prayer. And so we remember Jesus. And when you come, if you're a believer, you come and take the elements. We thank Jesus that he has opened this door before the throne of grace. And, and, and then we just get together, and we just pray with each other and ask that this will be a year that we grow together in our prayers. We really grow. So when you're ready, when you're ready, come up and take communion, take the elements and, and, and join together with someone and pray.